Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 12 of the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with me, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, we're going to be looking back at a good chunk of the fights from UFC 272. Of course, Colby Covington defeating Jorge Mazadal in the main event by unanimous decision, a fight that we both got wrong. And you know, like, I was reasonably pleased with our early run of episodes doing this podcast, that we had not made any ridiculous takes about big fights that made us look really fucking stupid. Um, and now this is two weeks in a row where we've just been like, oh yeah, this guy's really good. He's not going to get wrestled. And we were catastrophically incorrect. Um, so do we just hate wrestlers, Christian? I think we're just biased as fuck towards like very technical journeymen. Yeah, uh, salty dog veterans and uh, weird tacticians. <laughs> like I, I don't have like as much bias towards Masvidal. It's more just uh, thinking if I send good vibes into the universe, Masvidal will win, and Colby will get put onto a poster as like a, a silly knockout meme. Yeah, I mean, which watching that fight, you can see why that wasn't completely out of the question. Like Jorge Masvidal found his spots in this fight, but. Um, Two things that I wish we had kind of keyed in on when breaking the fight down is A, that Jorge Mazadal just can be pushed back. He doesn't have great ring craft. And B, that while he's very good in the clinch, he will just let positions ride out for way too long and not have the urgency that he needs about breaking grips and stuff. That Even if he's like landing the cleaner offense, he's just constantly getting smushed up against the cage and getting takedowns chained against him. And it's bad for optics for all that we want to point out all the reasons that Jorge Masvidal is like a tactically better fight than Colby Covington. Colby Covington just has a style which is constantly seizing initiative and Jorge Masvidal does not. Yeah, it's very important as an MMA fighter to push your win condition and something about Bob Green and Masvidal is that they do not push their win conditions and if you pick MMA based on which guy pushes their win condition more consistently, you can probably get like 95% of your picks right just on that criteria alone. And we have been kind of leaning into emotional picks for our last two cards. But as well as that, fighters like these guys are kind of real trap fighters for people who look at fights the way that we do. Because we can look at all of the individual things that they're good at tactically and be like, okay, well, if he just does this and this and this and this, then he'll win easily. And you can't, can't rely on MMA fighters to think strategically with any degree of consistency. Nobody does it. Unless it's Alexander Volkanovsky, you just can't expect a fighter to just immediately key into the perfect strategy to be able to win or navigate a rough stylistic matchup. See, we're, fu- we're fucking stupid. Hoy Mazadel lost very clearly and did not look that good. But he did show himself to be, you know, serviceable in the matchup. He didn't get completely blown through. He just got beaten, like, pretty unceremoniously. He got a knockdown, which wasn't that impactful it didn't even really win the round for him most likely 
But Mazda also got eye poked in the first round, which led to him getting a lot of his cardio sapped, and then the referee didn't see it. So that's something that definitely factored into the fight. But I think it was Colby's fight to lose. He definitely had the ability to just win exchanges in wrestling anytime he really tried to. And though he didn't get much damage off, he wore Mazdal out so badly. By the end of the second round, Mazdal was completely done. Also, Mazdal looked terrible. In my opinion, he looked the oldest he's looked. I mean, he was. He definitely is, yeah. But, you know, sometimes fighters can look the same for a few years. But Mazdal is really falling off a cliff in his last few. Like, he, he looked really bad against Usman in the second fight as well. Yeah, and he pretty much landed the most impactful shots of the entire fight in the fourth round of this fight. Um, but he was absolutely knackered and could not chase the kill when he had badly hurt Colby Covington. And Colby Covington still has tremendous cardio and recovery and a great chin and was able to just get back to it. And he'd spent, you know, he'd spent a lot of the rest of that round just like throwing big loopy combinations at Jorge while he was up against the cage, like trying to do defensive shit, not taking a ton of damage because he was like rolling with some of them and Colby Covington's not a puncher at all. But it was just, it was just such bad optics and Jorge Masvidal, for all of his tactical strengths, is not the deepest defensive fighter. So um, Colby Covington calls out Dustin Poirier, uh, another lightweight that he knows he can out-wrestle. I don't, really have any interest in seeing that fight. I guess Colby Covington's just angling for, like, money fights now that he's clearly not going to be the champion at welterweight. Um, And I I also think that we are seeing something of a stylistic shift in Colby Covington because he knows that he he can't be much longer for this sport because he has the kind of style that works really hard for as long as you can keep it up physically, but it requires you to walk through shitloads of damage and just tank it, as well as fighting an, an insane pace with a really physically demanding style that also just puts, like, like, like just the demands that that kind of style puts on you in training, particularly if you've been wrestling since you were like a teenager. I just, I think Colby Covington knows that he can't keep that up for much longer and is trying to be more technical but pretty quickly realizes in every fight that he's in that that's just not how he's going to win fights and is keeps reverting to Colby Covington. But you got to wonder how much longer that kind of thing could last. And then in the co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos taking on Renato Moicano. A short notice, a catch weight of 160 pounds. A pretty rough for Renato Moicano that they kept this as five rounds because this... This was just, uh, it was not a good fight for him. He made an okay account of himself given the context of the fight, and I think the UFC should still just be rewarding this kind of behavior where fighters with momentum are risking that to fill in on late-notice replacement fights, on high-profile fights that the UFC needs to keep together. When you save that kind of matchup, like you should still be getting relevant opponents in meaningful card slots after that. Um, but this was an absolute fucking ass whooping and it was kind of classic RDA. It was the pressure, the top control. We actually really saw all of the improvements in RDA's boxing that he's made over the last few years. Um, back in his his King's days, he, he was a lot more big, wild combinations. 
Recently, we've seen him more just like working behind that southpaw jab, which I always talk about is a thing that will give many very good MMA fighters absolute fits. Building off of that, drawing Hanato Moikano into combinations and then shooting reactive shots off of that and just working him from top. Uh, Uses it to set up a left high kick in the second round that probably should have finished the fight. Uh, There were several points where either the ref or a doctor could have finished the fight because Moikano was an absolute mess. But he kind of still rallied in the fifth round and hung in there. And RDA just shows what's made him always so good. And that he really... It just really doesn't seem like he's fallen off at all. It's kind of just like, oh yeah, he was just fighting huge people at welterweight. And he's still basically the same guy he's always been. His cardio's not going away, his chin's not going away. He's clearly just a guy who's who always stays in shape keeps working hard, is always trying to make improvements even in these later stages of his career. And you can talk about the context of his last two fights being against kind of stylistic layups with people who were coming in on super late notice to fight him. But there's still fights that at this point in his career are, you know, dominant wins over very good fighters that add to a legacy even as rich as RDA's. He's one of the greatest fighters of all time. Definitely, and to give Moicano a bit more shine, he he put a good account of himself, or as good as you can expect on like five days' notice. He had good ideas behind his shot selection. He's, he was throwing combinations that made sense. He was just getting, you know, beat to the hips a lot of the time. He's getting taken down over and over throughout the fight. He landed pretty well in the fifth round, but it wasn't. He didn't have any juice left. There just wasn't really a way for him to get into the fight by that point. And RDA also kind of took his foot off the gas to try and, I don't know, kind of like respect Moicano for how tough he was. Like in the third round, what led Moicano to getting hurt was he dropped his hands uh, trying to pretend. He's like, oh, hey, come on, fight me, RDA. Let's brawl. But he didn't want to brawl. He was just very tired. So he dropped his hands. Then RDA sees him drop his hands. And then in classic RDA fashion, he called someone's bluff and just went up and blasted him. So RDA's stock went up, I think. And Moicano's, Moicano and RDA both improved from this fight, like career momentum-wise. Yeah, if, if anything, they should just uh, do Hanato Moicano versus Bobby Green in a main event and just say, like, fuck it, whoever wins this is just ranked, like, eight at lightweight. Like, fuck it. And as for RDA, I still just don't know where he stands in this division. If Islam Makachev isn't going to fight for the title, that's one I'd still like to see. Um, he's, of course, never going to fight Benil Dariush, but they'll, they'll probably just use him for the next guy that they want to get over. Maybe they'll rebook him with Rafael Fazeev or maybe someone like Armin Saryukian. There's, there's still options for him and still plenty of good, potentially good wins for him in this division, even though it's hard to see him getting back to a title. And then uh, Bryce Mitchell versus Edson Barboza. This was um, kind of sad for... Us guys who love Edson Barboza, but also kind of um, in line with a way that he has lost before, just um, to a guy who isn't uh, Khabib or Kevin Lee. But um, Bryce Mitchell's he's, he's very good. Yeah, he stays incredibly tight on top. He's very fundamental in, in everything he does, despite him having the twister, being the twister guy. Like, he does a twister, but he's not really a twister guy. He, he's a tight and controlled positional control guy that, like he says, pressure cooks his opponent until he can find a finish later on. And if he doesn't, he'll just take a, a very wide decision. 
this one was probably like 30 24 like each round arguably 10 8 just on how little barboza actually got done i mean he got dropped in like the first minute yeah he got dropped which is not a good look for barboza but equally it's a pretty good look for mitchell even in a regressed barboza I thought Barboza's hips looked the worst they've ever looked when it came to defending the takedowns, but he's, uh, you could always get him down throughout his career. He's just normally able to win despite that. Except in the main matchups that he's had against wrestlers where he's lost very hard. Yeah, but he's generally been a pretty solid defender of takedowns. It's just, if you can chain a few shots together and get him down, he's just not a great scrambler or bottom player. He doesn't really have much urgency about sweeping or trying to trying to work to his feet trying to wall walk he will kind of just hold guard and stall until either the ref just stands it up or he can get the energy to explode up but yeah he's not 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 the easiest guy to take down but if you if you can get him down you can generally keep him down and bryce mitchell is kind of just a better takedown artist than like dan ige or maquan amakani yeah and something that's always kind of complicated barboza's ability to strike is people that are able to threaten takedowns. And in this fight, it, it also kind of complicated uh, Barbosa's ring craft because Mitchell was staying on him, and normally the people who were able to actually get him down are either just explosive enough to get him down in the initial shot, which, to my memory, Kevin Lee had that situation where he would just get close to him and then be able to wrestle him down, while Khabib just chased him across the, across the octagon, making Barbosa run away until he gave up bad positions with his feet. And also trying to stop engagements with Barboza. Because if Barboza is able to stand in front of you, he can normally just land. But Mitchell did good staying just the end of range and then waiting for Barboza to overcommit or start scuttling backwards before he actually aggressed. I was impressed by Mitchell's cage cutting, which I wasn't expecting. So, yeah, Mitchell's uh, he's definitely deserving of like a good ranking at featherweight. I'd like to see him against people that are like inherently harder to wrestle than Barboza. Because though Barboza is hard to wrestle, he looked pretty bad to me, and it's always been a key to victory against him. Yeah, I also think... Um, I do think Bryce Mitchell's going to start getting some more meaningful matchups in the featherweight division, he deserves it, but I think the top end of this division is an absolute fucking nightmare for him. Just because when you've got guys like Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, just unwrestleable nuclear punches with great cardio that it just it seems like there's a point where Mitchell's going to be getting physically and technically outmatched and he's going to be stranded against people who are just who are just too dangerous Edson Barboza of course is very dangerous but he just got scared out of his game so so quickly in this fight like Bryce Mitchell knew exactly what to do with the pressure the cage cutting and it seemed like one takedown was all it needed to get Edson Barboza pretty dissuaded away from his kicking game, which is, of course, always his bread and butter. Other aspects of the his top five of featherweight matchups, he would have troubles with even the guys that kind of play into his game, like Ortega and Korean Zombie, who could probably just compete with him really well in the jiu-jitsu and outstrike him. Although Mitchell's making good strides in his striking. Definitely. Like, like he's quick, he's got a good jab, and he's he's clearly... For a guy who seems to be dangerously insane, um, he seems to be quite smart about how he approaches his fight strategically. So I would like to see him against um, Giga Jikadze. It's a cool style versus style fight. It's a bit of a two-true outcome. Don't know how much it would tell us about either guy. But, um, you know, 
If not, then fuck it. Start getting him in with you know at least at least someone like Dan Ige. If not, uh, a, a, a Josh Emmett or, or someone like that. And uh, Kevin Holland knocked Alex Oliveira the fuck out. It was cool. Yeah, he had a bit of a rough first round, but not like in any serious danger. And then second round started, he came out really fast, found the really nice right hook that dropped Oliveira, and then he followed up with ferocious ground and pound. Kevin Holland, when he gets on top of someone and is trying to finish them, is one of the scariest to to watch fighters. And it's so funny because it's such a difference from his, uh, his like normal floaty self that's kind of being fun and like a nice guy. Then when he hurts someone, he starts slamming like eight elbows consecutively on their guard, smacking their head into the ground. Yeah, um, Oliveira came out hard in the first round of this fight and had some good ideas, but I think a combination of Kevin Holland having taken his wrestling training a little bit more seriously, or in fact just literally doing any of it at all, and just being a huge guy with a ton of leverage at welterweight, even though I don't don't think it's a, a tremendously draining cut for him. He now has the longest reach of anyone at welterweight which i mean alex Oliveira hates people who are at reach parity with him and yeah the the right hook it was looking like fucking kevin the last style bender holland out here it was a really nice finishing shot hitting him with punches you can only hit when you have like 80s 7000 inch reach because otherwise you could only really land a shot at that angle if it was like a head kick the range was so far it was sick though and as you say the, the ground and pound was disgusting so um yeah kevin holland i guess there's not as many just insane meme fights for him uh welterweight but there's i don't know there's michelle Pereira, there's nico price and then for Oliveira, he might get cut after this but i'm hoping he doesn't he just really needs to get back to his cheating ways if he can get back to his cheating ways then i think he can uh, get past this losing streak they should never cut Alex Oliveira. Uh, as he was walking out, the commentary described him as great value for money. <laughs> Absolutely right. Like, he's never won or lost in a way that wasn't fun as fuck, and he still kind of looked good in the first round of this fight. So just, just, just keep him around forever. And as you say, I feel like he might have um, seen Tim Elliott's fight earlier on this card and been like, damn, I can't top that and just decided not to cheat in this fight, but we'll get to that later. Um, Sergey Spivak easily destroyed Greg Hardy. Um, I can't believe there were people that were saying this fight was going to be close, or like could be a 50-50 kind of thing. Uh, Insane. We were so confident, like, unironically. It may have seemed like we were just joking because we dislike Hardy, but no, no I was very confident Spivak was going to shit-talk him. Yeah, and... Um, it's not even because I think Sergey Spivak's like, like that good. Kind of a pretty mid heavyweight, but um, but Greg Hardy's just bad. He's not good at all at MMA, and he's four, five, and one no contest in the UFC. Everyone he's beat has been cut. Some of the people who have beat him have been cut. Uh, he is currently on a th- three fight losing streak of losing like the most just hilariously embarrassing ways you could possibly lose. He quits every fight that he loses in. Yep. So, um, yeah, he should be cut. Fuck Greg Hardy. Not just because he's a terrible person. He's bad at MMA. He doesn't deserve these main card slots. He doesn't deserve the just 
perfectly gentle prospect development matchmaking that he got in the UFC because Dana White was just like, he can never admit that he's wrong once he's doubled down on something and had to had to prove this that this experiment was all worth it. But Greg Hardy's dog shit and needs to be cut from the UFC. One of the rare fighters in MMA that actually makes it to the UFC whose primary issue is a lack of heart. Normally you can't even get to the UFC if you don't have heart. And Hardy just off of being a football player for a while and you, the UFC wanted to give him a redemption arc that no one asked for. They've put themselves in a position where now they have to look stupid if they cut him because they put so much faith in him early. Or they leave him around to just keep getting murdered since they gave him like a... He, he's like a, a somewhat of a name, as much of a name as you can be when you're as bad as he is. So yeah, trash, bum, get rid of him. Uh, Jalen Turner knocked out Jamie Malarkey. That was fun. Really cool. Jalen Turner is a problem on the feet. He has really long reach and he's accurate as fuck. He, he gets really like snappy shots right when his opponents stop expecting him to land because he'll like throw a few things and then he'll wait half a beat and then just throw something real quick. It, it cracked Malarkey on the chin over and over. And then in the finishing sequence, uh, pretty much the second, the second round started, he started really pushing Malarkey against the fence and he had a really nice ascent towards getting his opponent to the fence. Uh, a kick feint got Malarkey a lot of distance after Turner had landed a good knee. Yeah, it was really nice how um, he hurt Malarkey with the knee to the body and then clearly had Malarkey concerned with that and moving backwards. And as soon as he got him back, he just pinned him up against the cage, kept him in position and just like doubled down on a on like an open stance right hook. Perfectly clipped Malarkey on, on the air. Fucked him up real good. Finished him on the ground. It was a really nice sequence. Jalen Turner is now on a four-fight finishing streak in the UFC. I believe he has a 100% finishing rate in all of his wins. I think a lot of people just remember him for getting knocked out in a really silly way by Vicente Luke. But that was upper weight class on short notice against like the hardest puncher in the, in the division. So yeah, be like that. Let's get Jalen Turner in some good fights. Marina Rodriguez versus Xiao and Yan. A much closer fight than we gave it credit for. Um, guess it's easy to underrate Xiao and Yan after the way that she lost to Carla Esparza. But she was on a good streak before that, and there's just not a lot of fighters in this division who are like Carla Esparza. And um, I think just the, the thing that we didn't key into that really defined this fight was just the speed difference and the fact that uh, Zhang and Yan was able to be the one dictating range and deciding when exchanges were happening because she had such a foot speed advantage. And then Marina Rodriguez, just like, she's clearly a reasonably well-schooled kickboxer and clinch fighter, but she can be taken down and she's kind of plodding and doesn't have great mechanics, even though she hits really hard and is generally very violent. So, uh, I mean, apparently... A lot of people thought this was an absolute robbery and should have gone to Zhao and Yan. I thought it was very close and didn't really have a huge problem with the decision. On initial watch live and then watching it back just a little bit ago, I thought it was fair to give it to Rodriguez, even though I still gave it to Zhao and Yan. Uh, let me start that bit again. Uh, yeah, Zhao uh, and Yan did uh, a better job also than I thought of competing in the clinch just because she'll actually prioritize position a lot more and trying to get double underhooks whereas Marina Rodriguez will just go for double collar ties and try to get big knees and elbows. Um, but she did land some pretty impactful strikes in the clinch late in the fight that I think were 
some of the most damaging offense of the fight. And just the exchanges were so even, which just made some of the rounds really hard to score because they would they would just exchange one of them getting bopped by a left hook over and over again. <laughs> yeah, and they every time they would get close and exchange, nothing would land during the exchange. And then the second one of them tries to get out of the exchange, they'd get clipped by something as they exit. It was a very strange dynamic throughout the entire fight. Yeah, a little bit. But I'm glad to see Marina Rodriguez take this one just because she was clearly so close to a title shot. It would have been weird to be in a position where she had gotten derailed from that, but Zhang and Yan wasn't going to be anywhere near a title shot because of the recent loss to Esparza. And Marina Rodriguez is just a very fun fighter. So, I mean, depending on how the title picture shakes out, she could be next in line. But if not, then she should probably be fighting Zhang Weili. Seems like that's the only re- place for her to really go rankings-wise, and unless she wants to hang around and fight down, which wouldn't be smart. And as for Zhang and Yan, she's still clearly very good and a top fighter in this division. She should probably be fighting something like the winner of Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres. Uh, Nick Nanga Mariano versus Kennedy and Chukwu. Kind of a sloppy banger. Yeah, Nechukwu showed new tricks. He seemed like a lot more calculated in this fight. He It's weird. It seems like he's more skilled now, but he may have gotten worse because he lost the the silliness about him that made him kind of unpredictable in that he would get his ass beat in the first round normally and then come out. But in this fight, he just stayed at a mid-pace throughout the entire fight. And it was... Hard to watch in a way because there was so much violence happening, but it was really sloppy and and not a lot happened. Like neither guy got hurt badly by all the violence that was happening. Uh, Kennedy basically barely got hit on the head, and Negamarianu was getting hit in the face over and over and giving up free counters. He's got a stupid chin though. He does, and his face doesn't cut up at all because he's very young. So and then uh, Marina Morose kind of just easily destroyed Maria Agapova, which was. I mean, we we thought it was a pretty easy pick. Maria Agapova's... It's always going to be kind of hard to pick her fights because there's always going to be the, uh, oh, but what if she just knocks them out? But she's so unreliable. She's maybe one of the most offensively potent fighters in this division, but is so completely inconsistent about it, which, you know, if you buy into the... The things that people like Marina Moroz have said about Agapova and her personal life outside of fighting just just, just kind of makes sense. She, she's uh, too much of a space case, and Marina Moroz is very consistent. She knows what she's doing, and um, she probably knew exactly how to beat Maria Agapova already because they trained together. Yeah, Agapova, it's too easy to take her game away from her, and Moroz's entire game is just come forward at a moderate pace being somewhat safe as you enter and then when you get on their hips try and get top position and then maintain top position and look for a choke or some ground and pound and Agapova really didn't have anything to do with that yeah because the thing is I don't think Agapova knows what her game is other than just general violence so like you, you, you just have to like rely on a singular moment of that paying off if you're just going to be like I will just vibe with whatever go is going on with the fight and just try and throw huge damage and grab a sub if it happens. That's, that's going to work for her probably a good bit in this division because it's not that good. But um, 
there is just absolutely no consistency to it. Like I said, she's she's one of the, the biggest glass cannons we've ever seen in the women's divisions. And though she definitely has like a, a competent skill set, mostly it's not good enough. Or she's too vulnerable on the ground, and even on the feet, uh, we just haven't really been able to see it against anyone that can strike for shit, or someone that's dangerous on the feet. So it's it's pretty easy to take her game away from her, and she doesn't impose her own game if someone just if someone can even attempt to take down on her. She's very skittish on the feet. At least in this matchup, she couldn't throw anything back at Moreau's. She, she would kind of try and paw some shots in, but then the second Moreau's got really close. Akapova shut down. She was looking for offense in the clinch instead of breaking, which is weird. Or not necessarily weird. Very characteristic of Akapova, but it was the bad decision. Moreau's is just too diligent about staying safe. Yeah, it was a good, good win for Moreau's. Um, she's been sidelined for a, a pretty long time just because of a ton of cancellations. She's almost been booked more than she's actually fought. So just uh, good for her getting back in there right now. And she gave a great post-fight speech, so she seems like a good person. We should all root for her. Yeah, let's go, let's go Marina Morose. Umar Magomedov uh, submitted Brian Kelleher. Was an, was an easy pick. Yeah, I think I picked Kelleher, but I didn't expect him to win. I just wanted Kelleher to win because I like Kelleher a lot. <laughs> yeah, I wanted Brian Kelleher to win, but I was like, he's not going to win this fight. He's He has too much of a history of both being able to be controlled by really dynamic takedown artists and uh, just getting submitted early. Umar Magomedov was really good at both of those things. That was it. And then um, the last fight that we really want to hit from this card... Tim Elliott versus Tagiru Lambekov. Um, just what a fucking masterclass from Tim Elliott. This fight was incredible. I had so much fun watching it. it Tim Elliott, it was a masterclass both of cheating and weird shit. Yeah, Elliott was doing things like up elbow into a jab into another up elbow with the same arm into like a weird shoulder roll where he gets out of the way of a like jab straight. He kept fading off to his own left to get out of the range of his opponent's strikes while shoulder rolling and trying to look cool. He grabbed the gloves all the time. He went for like three illegal knees that just were barely allowed to to land. He didn't land them that hard, but he was going for illegal knees that just ended up being legal because his opponent got up quick enough. It was also hilarious how fucking hard he tilted Khabib in the corner of Tagiru Lambekov. Um, just with all of the cheating that he was doing that wasn't getting called, and Khabib was just absolutely furious about it, just screaming at the ref. So that was funny. Um, as well as seeing Tim Elliott doing, like, low kick into up elbow, into shifting into an up elbow off of the other side. Um, he, he, also, he also dropped to, to gear with with an overhand left in the first round. And um, this is a fight that really just demonstrated the meta that's still very prevalent at flyweight, which is that if your thing is, if your thing as a grappler is being a lockdown top position guy, you better be pretty fucking good at it if you want to do it at flyweight. Because every time Ulanbekov got a clean entry on Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott would just like let the takedown happen and just be like, "Yeah, I've been a flyweight for like fifteen years," and he would. Just you just do like a Gramby roll or just some wacky scrambly shit and just end up on top. Yeah, the grappling was actually very dominant for Tim until he got tired. 
even in the standing clinch exchanges, uh, Elliot was getting his hips in and then digging to the body a little bit. If his opponent went for any double collar ties, he was grabbing the gloves, then pulling him into punches. He grabbed the gloves so much in this fight. I can't even exaggerate how many times he grabbed the gloves and got good offense off from it. Yeah, and he like when I was watching the pace he was putting out of just like throw a bunch of weird strikes, clinch entry, takedowns, grabby roll, I was like, oh my God, he's definitely going to gas out. He cannot sustain this. And he kind of did. Ulan Bekov ends up going more to his wrestling in the third round, even though he generally seems to be more of a boxer who uses his wrestling as an ancillary skill set. But I guess he just realized that it was the adjustment for him late in the fight. And he does end up getting Tim Elliott down and taking his back. Um, but Tim Elliott just chills, defends the choke. He knows he's got the first two rounds in the bag. It was basically one of the only times that the salty veteran pick worked out for us on this card. It was dope. And then Ludovic Klein made a dramatic improvement in his skill set in that he can throw a body kick now occasionally, which was kind of absent from his southpaw kicking game. Strangely, despite his only real good weapon being a left head kick, although he landed some decent straights in this fight. He's not a bad fighter by any stretch, but he just he has to prove himself a lot more after his recent UFC run leading up to this fight. Yeah, that was a weird one because he coming into the UFC, he looked like a real prospect who we thought was maybe not going to be a title contender anytime soon, but just looked like a well-scored fighter who knew what he was trying to do, had a fairly pared-down game, but a creative way of implementing it, and then just had a couple of losses where he looked really flat and limited, and you know, got, got submitted by Nate Landwehr? So, I don't know what the future holds for Ludovic Klein, but it, it would be cool to see him get it together. And then Dustin Jacoby and Michael Oleg had a sloppy banger that, with a bit of of a questionable decision. Uh, I, I don't really have too much to say about the fight because it was as Dustin Jacoby versus Michael Oleg as you could possibly imagine. Oleg kind of got his offense limited by Jacoby's range and size advantage, but Jacoby was kind of getting worked on the inside, and anytime Oleg could really get close, he'd land. So neither guy's... Neither guy really impressed that much, but... You know, they, they should be fine for as long as they're around. Okay, so that's the entirety of UFC 272. It was definitely a reasonably entertaining card, even though if I, I'm not sure how meaningful any of the results on it were. But uh, you can catch us in just a couple days where we're going to be previewing the next UFC fight. <clears throat> the next UFC fight night card headlined by Tiago Santos versus Magomed Ankalaev. A kind of depressing sorting match in the main event, but. An undercard featuring Marlon Marais versus Song Yedong. Sadiq Yusuf versus Alex Caceres. Khalil Roundtree versus Carl Robeson. Drew Dober versus Terence McKenney. It's a sick card, right? Alex Pereira versus Bruno Silva. Yeah, this card kind of fucking slaps. So uh, join us for that. As always, if you like this shit, hit us up on Patreon. We got lots of cool shit. That, you, that we can do for you if, if, if you give us money this has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast we'll see you later later later